Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look at how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, we're looking at where you can find the best value opportunities among the UK equity market. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, the UK equity market is cheap, but despite this, investors are continuing to shy away. The lack of love for the UK market is leaving many of the professional investors perplexed. They point out that the UK market has plenty of bargain opportunities, given that the FTSE 100's all-time high achieved earlier this year was driven by a small number of stocks, the energy and the miners, which have benefited from rising energy prices. The fund statistics, however, reflect that investors have yet to be persuaded. The latest statistics show that UK funds saw outflows of 1.2 billion in May. Now, arguing the case for the UK is Neil Shah, director of investment research firm Edison Group. I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and started off by asking him to set the scene by giving an overview of how cheap the UK equity market is compared to its own history and to other markets such as the US. It's something which uh, a lot of fund managers have been talking about, that when you look at the UK market on a relative basis to most developed markets, um, you know, it looks extremely cheap. I mean, I haven't gone back, you know, hundreds of years. I, I thought I'd had a look at the charts back to sort of the beginning of 2005. But even on on those, um, it's it's on a relative low against the US and European markets. Um the, the interesting thing is that it's 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 very broad based. If you take a look at the premium or discount on Ford earnings multiples against the you know set take MSCI UK versus MSCI US, the the only sectors where um, the UK traded at a modest premium was in telecom services and the the sort of tech, hardware, and equipment, everything else was on a discount. We're on a significant discount against, you know, the, the sort of 20-year history against developed markets. When you're taking a look at median valuations, uh, the majority of the UK sectors are, are at a discount to where they've been. You know, particularly even if you're looking at different orientations, value, growth, etc., you'll still see that the, the, the UK market is... Is on a discount now. Now, some of that is because the UK has shrunk as a proportion of, you know, the the importance of the UK in terms of its representation of the world market has shrunk. Um, so MSCI World is now made up, I think, of sixty eight percent. A percent of it is made up by by sort of developed markets, and the UK makes up about four percent of it. So it is becoming a smaller and smaller constituent of, uh, I guess, the overall market. A lot of a lot of reasons as to why that's happening. Most people that I talk to point to the point to 2016 and Brexit and the referendum result, and it it to a certain extent it drew particularly the international investor away from the UK market. It it almost became a prior market, which is that you know we can't see how the UK is going to function outside of the EU in any meaningful way. And I don't want to take the risk of, of owning equities in in the UK market. Now now I mean of course that's a gross generalization because you know the FTSE one hundred is made up of companies that operate 
all all around the world. But you know, I think that 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 is that's a reasonable basis to say, okay, if you're starting to take a look at where the valuation started breaking down. I don't think there's any coincidence um, that it sort of tied in with the Brexit vote. So that's that's where we find ourselves today, which is that it's on a relative basis. It looks cheap. It's a concern for, you know, people like the London Stock Exchange. It's a concern for the government um, that, you know, the UK is becoming less and less of an attractive listing destination. And there's there's a series of measures they're working to, on to sort of change that. It's attracted quite a lot of interest from private equity in particular, but trade buyers as well. So, you know, good UK companies have been hoovered up over the last few years because on a relative basis, they're very attractive. And, you know, if you're, if you, if you're not concerned about, you know, the public market listing that you've got the patience of four or five years, you know, I think, I think you could see that, 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 that kind of activity is just reinforcing the view that the UK market is cheap. The point that you've made on um, Brexit was, you know, I completely agree. It's an argument I've heard, you know, a lot over the past couple of years. I was at an investment conference recently where um, James Henderson, who's a fund manager, who runs a number of investment trusts at Janus Henderson, um, including the Lowlands Investment Company. He was making the point that the international investors that left following the Brexit vote, they still haven't returned. And obviously retail investors as well continue to shy away from um, their own market. So, you know, for the last couple of years, I've heard the argument that, you know, UK shares are cheap, but those investors have still not returned on those grounds. So what do you think, Neil? What, you know, what are the catalysts that are going to make these investors return to the UK stock market? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated question that there's no silver bullet, as you can imagine. If you look at the UK market relative to other markets, I mean, one of the arguments that's been made is that we don't have any sort of national champions. So there are some good companies, but, you know, if I've heard the argument that if you take a look at BAT, arguably Philip Morris has offered provided better returns and better performance than BAT, for instance. You don't have the situation where in the Dutch market, for instance, you've got, you know, a national champion like ASML, you know, if you believe in energy transition, if you believe in, you know, the the need for chips going going forward, uh, ASML is in a very sort of interesting sort of unique position. And so I think the first thing is, is that, you know, at the heart of it, I think you, you've got to create those sort of very vibrant, successful companies that attract people to a market. Now, th- there is, if you look at the private sort of arena, there are sectors where, you know, I think the UK has got, you know, a leading position, particularly in fintech. I think that's an area where, you know, we've got a number of very successful companies um, starting to develop. And over time, you'd hope that, that, you know, you're going to start to see some of that sort of coming onto our our, our public markets and, and people taking an interest. But there, there's other areas as well where, you know, I think you've got, I would call areas of excellence starting to, to develop. So first thing I would say is that to garner interest in the market, you need good quality companies coming to the market. That's That's the first thing. The second is, and, 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 and to be honest, I mean, a lot of what you're seeing in the, the reform agenda that's, that, you know, the Edinburgh reforms, what was set out by the Chancellor in his Mansion House speech, um, the changing to the listing rules, the idea that, you know, we're revisiting how investment research is being produced in, in the UK and Rachel Kent's reviews. 
These are all measures which are there to try and stimulate interest back into the UK market and in particular to start to champion some of the sort of growth companies um, in the UK market. So that's that that's the first thing, which is I think you've got to start to create a platform for these sort of national champions. The, the second, I think, is, um, and I think the market's got to find its feet which is that if you take a look at the IPOs of the last two or three years, I think 2020, 21, the post-pandemic rush that sort of took place of companies coming to market because there was, you know, the market was flush with capital because of the sort of the government policies at the time, you have not fared particularly well in terms of investing in those IPOs. I, I, I need to run the stats to, to June, but the last time I ran the stats, I think... 88% of the companies that um, had IPO'd were underwater. I mean, there was a group of companies which were 90% down, which is, you know, astonishing that, that, that within two years, these companies had come to market and they were sort of 90% down. And I, I, was at a, I was at a very uh, entertaining uh, conference where Andy Bruff g- gave, gave this analogy that, you know, when, when, uh, every, when you go to a party, everyone needs to come come home with a balloon, right? <laughs> That's what he said. And uh, you know, if you, if if the man, if the people investing in these things aren't coming home with a balloon, guess what? They're not coming to the party again, right? So, uh, I th- I think I think that's a message of of you know, as these companies sort of come to market, you can't you've got to leave enough in the performance for the aftermarket that there's going to you know you have to reflect that that there's got to be something on the table um for the investors so that they can you know confidently invest in these businesses and see some some outperformance on them so i think i think that's that's an adjustment that needs to take place in terms of how companies are ipoing and i look long term you know i'm a i'm a firm believer in the iron rule that companies which continuously deliver return on capital in excess of their cost of capital will outperform over over the long term right i think i think that, that that's just you know that the way markets work so you can you can find that that companies sort of stay out of investors radars but eventually the valuation argument or the the, the metro financial metrics become so compelling that, that people will come back to them. And I think so. The, the final thing is build your businesses for the long term. Don't worry about it too much because over time, you know, the, those things will write themselves. You mentioned Andy Bruff. For those that are not familiar, he's a full manager at Trothers who runs um, a number of mid and small cap UK equity funds. Is it the mid and small cap part of the market that is presenting the most value opportunities at the moment, given... Over the past 18 months or so, you know, valuations and share prices, they've repriced accordingly due to the fact that interest rates have been going up. Value is an interesting, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at it on your traditional metrics, so let's let's separate the conversation. Where should you invest? <laughs> Where are the cheapest, cheapest stocks and sectors? Inevitably, what you've seen as, as the outlook becomes more uncertain, what you've seen is a move up the market cap scale because managers want liquidity, particularly in the UK market where quite a lot of what is being invested in is our open end, uh, through open-ended vehicles. And managers are worried about redemptions and need to be able to liquidate out of positions reasonably quickly. 
So I think I think that you know as a result of that, when you start to see those kind of movements, of course you you will see neglected small caps, neglected mid caps, where you know from a price to book or a price to earnings multiple, they look really really attractive. I tend to when I'm looking at how you should invest, I tend to take a slightly more holistic view because occasionally you will find a great company which is you know actually not on a necessarily a cheap PE but um, its growth attributes the way it sort of runs itself are so attractive that I'd, I'd be prepared to pay for that the the, fl- uh, the other side of it is that if you're looking at something which is cheap i you know on a on a discounted pr- uh, price to earnings multiple or a, a discounted price to book multiple and is is in the sort of small and mid cap area one of the investment disciplines i think that you now need to sort of think through is think through what your exit hypothesis is so uh, another fund manager i recently interviewed uh, richard Staveley, you know invests in sort of a concentrated portfolio of those kind of small and mid cap names is always thinking about what is my exit route because he can't rely on the fact that the market is necessarily going to you know another manager is going to come and pick up this stock in two or three years time so he's thinking about you know what what is what is this business what kind of industry does it operate in is it fragmented is it consolidating you know who are the peers what's what's happening in the private equity space um, and he's, he's sort of positioning himself for realization on that perspective. That's not unique in the UK market. David Einhorn, very well-known US manager, uh, spoke at, a, a, I think, an industry conference about six weeks ago and talked about how his investment, his special sits investment style has changed, where previously he would look at something where he felt that the market underappreciated the earnings potential of it. If he could buy it and buy it on a say an argument, say a P multiple of twelve, and then you got both the earnings beat and the re-rating, it's how he tended to make his sort of you know 50, 60, 70, 80% returns over a three-year perspective. He said that that's really hard work right now because you you know you don't have mutual funds coming in and buying up that stock, so you can get stuck in a in a value trap. Instead, he's he sort of described the you know his investing approach of looking at the in you know what is considered small cap in the U.S., which is sub five billion dollars. He's taking a look at what he calls the wasteland. So if he can buy a company there on a P multiple of five and feels that there is going to be some kind of trade buy or some kind of consolidation play and it gets picked up on a P of six or seven in a year or two years time, he's still making a 40% return. So it's interesting that professional managers understand the kind of market we're in, that the liquidity constraints, um, particularly in investing in small and mid cap. And one of the things that they're think, thinking about is you know, I can buy into it because I buy into the valuation, but they're also thinking about the realization of that valuation and building an exit hypothesis. And Richard Stavely, interesting thing about Richard Stavely's fund is that I think when I looked at it in January, three of the companies of, of a fairly concentrated portfolio of 10 or 15 holdings, three of the companies had been bid for. So, you know, his exit hypothesis is very clearly working. Yeah, that is interesting that, um, as you mentioned, that, you know, particularly the small cap for managers to having to take into, you know, even greater consideration than usual liquidity. 
In terms of the UK market as a whole, I'm going to ask you to put your neck on the line here. Which sectors or companies would you pick out as offering you know good value opportunities at the moment in the context of the macroeconomic backdrop that we're in, which looks like that we're in a higher for longer interest rate environment? So if you take a look at current valuations on a range of metrics, so I tend to look at forward PEs, trading PEs, price to book and dividend yields. The ones that, that t- tend to stand out, basic materials, financials, consumer staples, real estate, but that I would put a caveat on that, that um, you know, there's, there is concerns about NAVs in the, the real estate sector. It depends on where in real estate. Those are the ones that flashing up as these are attractive. The one which is a, is a little bit of a balance, uh, the, the energy sector is very attractive on an earnings perspective, less attractive on a yield perspective, dividend yield perspective. But we can talk about, about that. And there are companies which are very attractive from a yield perspective in the energy sector. So I would say, I would say that, that those are the sectors that stand out right now in the, in the UK from a, from when you're looking at the, the sort of valuation metrics. And then it's a case of, of, you know, finding the right kind of companies in those sectors. And in terms of income, you know, the UK market has a rich dividend heritage. It's among the highest yielding markets in the world. On that basis, which companies or sectors would you pick out as, you know, often often a good opportunity at this point and which ones are potential value traps? Again, the sectors which stood out from, from a yield perspective, materials, again, uh, compared to history, looked attractive, financials, uh, consumer staples, real estate, and to a certain extent, the tech IT sort of area is, is attractive from a dividend yield perspective. On a relative basis, I think FTSE 350 is yielding about 4%. If you look at the US, it's yielding about 2%. And so dividend yield is, is twice that in the UK market. You have to take into account the fact that the UK market has got a history of paying dividends. A lot of US companies like to do share buybacks and return capital in that format. So it's not necessarily, you know, uh, apples with apples when you're looking at those sort of um, yield yield metrics. So, you know, I tend to focus on, you know, what leads to the generation of that yield, which is your return on capital. What is the most attractive companies from a return on capital? Very old, old-fashioned, old-school <laughs> in that regard. Specifically, if I was taking a look at, you know, companies which I think are attractive from a yield perspective, it's, it's usually it needs to marry up with you've got to buy into the company and what it's doing uh, and the story of that company, along with the fact that you think the yield's interesting, supports your investment in it, and to a certain extent, it's providing you some insurance because even if it doesn't perform, you're, you're getting a, a return on that. So some of the names that I would mention from a yield perspective, uh, like Serica Energy, uh, which is almost double-digit dividend yield now, um, has had a history of paying special dividends. I like Games Workshop, which is a very strong cash generative business, very strong IP, and again, tends to pay quite a lot of, you know, any what it calls surplus capital out to investors uh, in the form of dividends or special dividends. A a retail favorite, I would take a look at Lloyds Bank as a a staple business, which is paying, you know, a sensible yield, which tends to do reasonably well in a high interest rate, provided we don't move into 
Armageddon and uh, you know the impairment side go out of control. But I, I don't. We think we're in a very different position today than we were in the financial crisis. There are other businesses like Tops Tiles, which I think uh, you know turnaround stories and are supported by a yield. So it, it, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, it's, I don't. I tend to do it less in terms of his ranking in terms of companies and um, you know the yields they're paying. More in terms of I, I like the underlying story behind these uh, these these equities, um, and they're supported by an, an interesting dividend yield. And finally. You know, while, as we've discussed, you know, the UK equity market, it's cheap compared to um, its history and to other regions. And there's a lot of market commentators out there at the moment that are saying, you know, pointing that very fact out and that now might be a good time to um, increase exposure. I think something that for UK investors to bear in mind is to check how much exposure they already have to UK equities, given that, you know, a lot of UK investors do have quite a lot of home bias already. Is that a fair point to make? I think it is a fair point, but it also you need to marry that up with one one of the golden rules of investing is <laughs> understand what you're investing in, right? And I think I think home bias is is natural. I mean, I, I you know I've I've been doing this a long time, and I've seen you know professionals make money by the fact that I, I, when I when I was working at Goldman, I always remember this very famous sort of call because you know one of the equity salespeople happened to walk through Marks and Spencers etc and came away with some views and discussed that with the analyst etc and and you know that generated at the time it was actually a sell call on Marks and Spencers and and I think actually today it might go the other way which is you know Marks has done quite a lot in terms of revamping its store format and looks much more interesting I do buy into this idea that you've got to understand what you're investing in and there's nothing more tangible than actually seeing you know the products the services having experience of that so take the example of I mentioned which is Tops Tiles you know, you, you can see the store formats today compared to maybe what they were five years. Or you can go and have a look at some of the old store formats and some of the new store formats that they have. Very different in their makeup. And you can also get exposure to, you know, their customer services and the customer service mentality, etc. And those those things ultimately underpin what is, you know, how a business runs itself which then turns itself into, you know, what are the financial metrics? So I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the home bias because I actually I think it helps you understand businesses better. And if it's one of the things that you should do as a, as a genuine investor is to try and get exposure to it. Of course, you know, uh, you've got to strike your right that you don't want to be entirely UK focused because you're miss- missing some great opportunities out, out in the rest of the world. I mean, uh, you know, if you hadn't participated in the US market, particularly the, you know, where everyone was or was investing in the large cap names, that's a lot of money that you've left off the table in the first half of this year. I also think it's worth you taking a look at some of the new, the up and coming international markets. So, for a long, long time post financial crisis, the Greek market, for instance, was was kind of where the UK market was today. It was a kind of a pariah; no one would touch it. But there's been some really exciting stories. Economically, it's doing really well. And you know, one of my personal favourites. There's a there's a little business. It's not so little anymore. There's a business that we started covering five years ago when it was about a billion euros market cap called Mitalinos, and it's exposed to the energy transition theme. Uh, over five years, that business is now four and a half billion market cap. Uh, so you know, it's gone up four and a half times. 
and actually from a prospect perspective it looks really really interesting in terms of the, the, the direction of travel that's going so do you know stick your knitting and to a certain extent you know expose yourself to some of the things that, that you enjoy doing at the same time don't 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 neglect to look overseas because there are some really exciting companies out there thanks to neil and thank you for listening to this episode of on the money if you enjoyed it please leave us a rating or a review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, tell a friend about it too. You can join the conversation, ask questions, and tell us what you would like us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.